Hey friends, our episode today is actually a two-part episode. When we recorded this a few weeks back, it ended up being a longer conversation than we anticipated. You can catch the second half of the conversation next week. Thanks for listening. This episode of the Bamboo Pastors Podcast has been brought to you by the Growth Center for Church and Mission. The Growth Center has established the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader, a ministry ecosystem which brings together pastors, ministry leaders, and marketplace leaders who are finding creative ways to utilize their faith and their talents to bring the gospel to the cities and communities they live in. Check them out at thegrowthcenter.com. Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. All right, Jalen, it's uh, good to be back here with you for the podcast. I will say that this has been a uh, an interesting week for me, a, a long week and a long day. So I'm glad that we're on here doing this. It, it feels like a nice break from just uh, the craziness of this week. But how have you been? What are you up to? Yeah, things have been also equally crazy and busy. Um, and uh, just, man, learning to rely on the Lord as always, but just trusting his grace to, to carry us through this season. You know, we're recording about a week and a half before Easter. And, uh, it's, it's certainly a busy time for us. And, and it's, it's a time that, you know, I, I definitely have to fight to keep my focus on what we're celebrating and not just to kind of plow through and do the work, but just to, to ready my heart and, and to celebrate the resurrection. Well, but, um, yeah, I mean, in our household, we are doing a, for our kids for homeschooling, we're doing a unit on countries of Asia. And so this last week we've been doing um, Southeast Asia. And so uh, certainly we've, we've, you know, been studying the Philippines because that's, you know, Jenny's half Filipino. Uh, but part of that, uh, and I'm, I'm not helping out at all, of course, with, with homeschooling stuff, but I, what, the way that I benefit is that part of the learning experience is eating foods from these countries. And so Jenny has been uh, home making, like we've had pad thai and adobo and lumpia and chicken satay and uh, nasi goreng, laksa and beef rendang. And man, it's been just a wonderful week of eating. So that, that has been, that's been fun for, for us. And the kids have really enjoyed that part too. So they've helped out with a little bit of cooking, but definitely have enjoyed the food. So that's what's going on with us. Uh, how are you doing? How are things going with you? Uh, I'm going to say that right now I'm really hungry because of what you just described and you record this after dinner, but for me here in California, this is before dinner. So uh, we're just gonna, I'm gonna have to struggle my way through. Um, I think for me, like similar to you, you know, this is the week before, or it's the week right before Holy Week. And so with church ministry stuff, we just have a lot going on. I always kind of compare Holy Week to like finals or like AP testing um, from when I was a, a youth pastor. And, you know, like you said, it's easy to get lost in the weeds of all the different logistics and ministry things that have to fall into place and to really lose sight of like why we're doing all these things and um, to really kind of rest in in the life death and resurrection of jesus so yeah i i definitely hear you on that but yeah i'm i'm glad to to be on on the podcast and recording with you this feels like a little bit of an oasis from some of the craziness 
Yeah, I hope so. And, and I'm really excited about our guest today. Our guest is Enoch Liao. He is the English pastor at Boston Chinese Evangelical Church. Uh, he's also uh, recently published a book called In Reverence and Awe. And so uh, I want to put that out there. He blogs at enochliao.com. You can check him out more there. But Enoch, we're so glad that you're here. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Happy to be here. Uh... I didn't tell you about the book, so I guess you did a little homework. And to tell your audience, I don't blog regularly. In fact, it's on the About Me page. Uh, most of my content, I guess, would be for us shepherds and pastors. I guess the living body of our work is the flock that we're pouring our lives into. So at least that's my excuse for not blogging. Um, yeah, So, but it's an honor to be here and I really appreciate you guys. And I got to tell your listeners, I wish they could see you too, sporting your awesome sick hats and uh, looking pretty <laughs> cool here. So anyway. I think we're both rocking Chicago Bulls hats today because the Bulls made some big moves in, on the trade deadline. So I think we're both just in a very um, celebratory mood. As yeah, far season as two, season two should be a video, uh, you know, <laughs> podcast. We'll look yeah. into it. Yeah, I don't know if we're ready for that yet, but we'll think about it. So you know, Enoch, we're really glad that you're on, and we we totally agree that as you were talking about how the flock that you care for. Um, your church and the people that you you serve, that oftentimes is kind of telling the story of how God has, has led you, where he's brought you from, where he's bringing you to. But we also want to get to know you and, and kind of where you've been on your journey. And so could you just share with us a little bit, where are you serving right now? How did you end up there? How did God call you into ministry? What are some of the stops you've had along the way? Yeah, so I was born in Michigan. My parents uh, were born in China. Then fled during the communist revolution uh, with their families and were educated in Taiwan and then got their graduate schooling here in the States. So uh, in the Chinese heritage church or Chinese world, diaspora world, people older than us all know when I say something like, when they ask me where my parents are from and I say, they're born in China, raised in Taiwan, they all, oh, they know. Um, and that, that movement of that diaspora. Then we, uh, they settled in California eventually and that's where uh, we all grew up and went to UCLA took a couple majors there and uh, met my wife there at college and served at a church in Southern California called Bread of Life. It's in Torrance, California. And uh, then upon graduation, long story short, felt the Lord calling us. And uh, we believe he led us to BCC, Boston. In those days, uh, you could walk right up to the airport gate, uh, the airplane gate. And I remember getting picked up uh, by some staff and friends, good friends now meeting them there. And in the wee hours of that early morning in, I think, November of 2000 or something like that, or nine, yeah, 2000, um, we sensed that guy was going to move us to Boston and we were going to say goodbye to California. Uh, we didn't tell them that for another many six, seven months or so. Um, and then the Lord's kept us here ever since. At BCC, I have the privilege to serve in youth ministry, college ministry, young adult ministry, our after-school program, our summer day camp, um, serving in community things, and right now I, I try to explain my role as, um, first of all, I'm trying to make my, my senior pastor's job just as good as it can be, given it's a crazy time to be senior pastoring a church. So that's one of my primary things. I really want to support Daniel Chan, our senior pastor. And then I also get to work with the English ministries on both our campuses. So, um, yep, that's kind of where we're at. And uh, I felt my call to the Lord in college to work in church ministry and uh, met my wife later at a, it's going to sound really spiritual, a prayer meeting where I shared publicly for the first time in that small dorm room at UCLA that I think I was called to the ministry. Little did I know that a couple of weeks before she had shared with her Christian sweetmates that she'd like to go into ministry. And they said, Oh really? Like in 
pastoring? She's like, no, no, no. I, I think I'll marry a pastor. So uh, apparently as I was sharing that, she was getting elbowed by her roommate at the time. I uh, wouldn't know this till a little bit later. So Karen, my wife, um, we have three sons at home, Evan, Owen, and Kean. Uh, first year in college, uh, sophomore in high school, eighth grader. And then we have a daughter who uh, is no longer with us. Uh, her name's Eve. She would be about three years old, uh, three or four years old right now. So, so that's kind of our story. Yeah. I love, I love hearing just the, the way that uh, I, I love that you've brought your family, you know, the, the history of your parents and that, that move. And then for you, the, the movement that God has, you know, called you through and your faithfulness to going from California to Boston from coast to coast, basically. Right. One of the things that you mentioned as you were sharing with us, kind of your story is the Chinese heritage church, that term we've heard from a few different people and we've been able to trace it back to you. And so people have told us that, yeah, Enoch is the one who's coined this term Chinese heritage church. Uh, what do you mean when you say Chinese heritage church? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll say what I mean. And I guess maybe try to explain, I don't, I'm not trying to coin a term or, you know, get a Wikipedia article on something, but I just found it. I found I needed a term to describe something. So by Chinese heritage church, I mean, simply that a church with a Chinese heritage, it's past is Chinese, uh, founded by Chinese, often immigrants, at least in the flow of history and immigration in this country. Uh, they may not be American citizens, so it's not technically appropriate to call them Chinese Americans. They may be nationals of Taiwan or China or any other East Asian country. And so it also describes the past in a positive way, uh, but also leaves open to the future. So two stories. One story was um, basically uh, a, a guy came to our church and really kind of became Christian in our church and uh, wanted to get baptized in our church. And, you know, this is great news for a pastor to hear. I'm praising God. And he said, well, Pastor Enoch, is it okay if I join your church? And I said, sure, why not? He's like, well, you know, I'm not Chinese. And I remember thinking, well, that's a great question because our name says Boston Chinese Evangelical Church, and it is predominantly ethnic Chinese in background. Um, and I've also had a, almost the exact same conversation with a Korean American uh, woman that asked me the same thing, you know, uh, can I be a part of the church? And that just really made me realize that we throw a lot of these words around, not in the aim of political correctness, but I did think it was worth clarifying certain things um, to say, I was watching my white friends say, telling people, yeah, I go to a Chinese church and the, the, the people they tell would be strange or I'd be introduced by a Caucasian person to their friends this is my pastor. Yeah, a Boston Chinese evangelical church and they'd give them this look. And so um, I think also it, it, it probably was coming about in the same era. I think people are trying to figure out what the future is, you know, like many churches have with an immigrant background in this cultural milieu today right now. People are wondering, is it biblical to be predominantly ethnic specific or not affinity? You know, these are not diverse churches, right? You're such, you're all the same. And, and so I think um, in allowing that conversation to continue as the Lord would have it, I felt it might be useful to come up with another term. I, I wish I had a shorter term, a less clunky term, but I really think it really describes not Chinese immigrant stories, but really any diaspora church, you know, so I'll call that a Korean heritage church or a Arab heritage church or North African heritage church. Um, we, there are actually Irish heritage churches and Dutch heritage churches and Swedish heritage churches. We just call them white churches or worse. We just call them American churches, which probably isn't good about centering about, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, there are a lot of Americans that aren't necessarily of a European uh, persuasion uh, or stock. So that the term Chinese heritage church, I mean a church where the background, the past is from a Chinese heritage and yet the future is open. That term is descriptive and historic. And if in a hundred years, BCC is still around 
uh, whether it's changed its name or not to reflect something different, it will always be a Chinese heritage church. It'll always be a church with a Chinese heritage. And, um, and I found it helpful to think about that way when I thought of diaspora churches and immigrant churches. So that's what it is. I'm not really picky about it, uh, but, uh, but I do think it is helpful when I'm explaining to people, especially people that really ask me, is it like biblical? Like, aren't we supposed to be in like revelation, like all the nations and different ethnicities? So, and so that's part of the reason why we, why I use that term and find it helpful. Um, but again, I, I only use it if it's helpful, <laughs> if, if, it, if it serves you, but that's kind of where uh, the term came about for me. Yeah, I love it. You know, I think you're right that oftentimes the way that we have described ourselves or, or other people have described, you know, the Chinese Heritage Church doesn't fully capture who we are, right? Or it leaves a lot of room for um, confusion or for people to feel maybe this is not, uh, this, is, this isn't a home for me. Um, and so we want to be clear about, you, you know, as, as a Chinese heritage church, like we, where we come from, but also that the Lord is doing something unique in this place and in this, in this church and in this context. And it's probably going to be different in different places, different parts of the country too. Um, but yeah, I love, I love, you know, the, I think the first time I heard it just uh, really appreciated the thoughtfulness that, that went into it. And so that's why Jalen and I have been really looking forward to this conversation. I am curious when you first started using that term, whether it was with your church or with other pastors, how was it received initially? No, that's a a great question. While it's probably a clunky or multi-syllabic phrase, uh, I do think it has one advantage that I think we try to do in other settings, which is this, no one's really used that phrase before. And if we use another phrase, one of the advantages of a phrase like that is a little foreign or unfamiliar, not necessarily clunky. It's probably not that clunky. Um, it's funny in the last year or two with all that's happening with anti-Asian stuff, I hear the word heritage so much now. It's like a buzzword again. But I guess um, I would just use it in my church, my preaching. I would refer to my church as a Chinese heritage church and not because I'm trying to be picky. I didn't tell anyone else they needed to say it. I just That's just the phrase I think. Uh, it's not even political correctness. I just think it's accurate. And, uh, and I'm thinking of all the people in our church that may or may not be identified as ethnic Chinese. Uh, and in fact, there's not just ethnically racial. There are people that are, you know, physically, de- genetically from Chinese stock, but because of their cultural upbringing, they, they don't necessarily identify as that ethnic, cultural Chinese uh, background. So um, I used it in my church. And then um, whenever I go have the opportunity to speak somewhere else, again, I'm not trying to push anyone out. It's just part of my vocabulary. And so um, pastors would ask me, what do you mean by that? And once I explained it to them and I said, oh, and here's why I use it because, you know, not everyone's Chinese. That's usually, the, oh, they all go, oh, that makes so much sense, right? You know, like, um, again, you know, I, I don't think we need to be like a legalistic about it. And honestly, you guys don't have to use that for the rest of the podcast episode because I know you don't always use that. It's totally fine. Um, uh, but I do think it helps. And it's not even this sort of progressive liberal sense to be inclusive. It's just the most accurate thing. There are definitely people that are thinking we should be looking to go multi-ethnic. Like that's what a common thing. And then there are people that think, well, what about, you know, people that come here that only speak Chinese dialects. And so that phrase allows us to continue to talk. So most people found it useful or helpful, um, especially if they were wrestling with the identity of their church ethnically going forward. It, It does explain a lot. It does, you know, when, when people have questions about, oh, what do you mean by Chinese church? I think using Chinese Heritage Church certainly helps us further the conversation, helps people understand better. 
Uh, earlier, you said as you know, as you were describing the Chinese Heritage Church, that term, you said it leaves the door open for the future of what Chinese Heritage Churches or what Chinese churches will look like. What factors contribute to sort of the evolving nature of the Chinese Heritage Church? And yeah, what what do you see as sort of the the different paths that Chinese heritage churches can take or will take? That, that's kind of a big question. And you may have to remind me that question because I think to try to unpack it, I probably need to answer one or two questions before that. And in some sense, everything I say is probably applicable or I would like to think relevant to any immigrant or diaspora church. I remember hearing the phrase third culture kid talking to a friend of mine that was a missionary that grew up abroad. He's like, yeah, I'm a third culture kid. They go through a lot of challenges. It's a lot of work. They don't really fit in. I go, wow, there's this term third culture kid. It's got sociological gravitas. I need to figure out what this term is. I never heard this before. I read up about third culture kid, a kid growing up in a culture that's not, they don't feel identifying with the culture they're in or the culture, like, and they're not with the culture of their parents. And I read that and I thought, oh, wait, that's just every immigrant kid, right? So like that, Oh, that's what you mean, right? So um, it's funny, I guess some people need a whole big category when it's just sort of your lived experience. So we think of when an immigrant movement happens um, and then you look at the vitality of the church. So your question is sort of like, what's the future of the Chinese Heritage Church? And I think uh, some of the work by uh, Dr. Enoch Wan, uh, a missiologist out in uh, Western Seminary and others, I found really helpful to think through this. But I would think there's several factors that drive the general vitality of any immigrant church, but I'll use Chinese Heritage Church for the most part. So, and those determine, I think, the vitality of that church and then the likelihood of its assimilation or integration into the future, which I think is sort of getting at your question. So number one, how is the immigration flow coming in and out of that country? So there are definitely ethnicities and nations where immigration is not nearly as plentiful as it was before. Like, I don't think there's a ton of people from Japan immigrating here at this time, for example. Uh, but there are definitely th seasons where Hmong, um, you know, Cambodian, Chinese, Chinese is still happening, although from different sort of Chinese diaspora or Chinese places. And so if the people group continue to have people coming in as immigrants, then you have a continuous flow. You're always going to therefore have a need or a value for original, or I should say, in the ethnic language or their, their original, their, their language of the heart. So, you know, their Russian immigration actually stopped quite a bit under the last uh, presidential administration that most people don't know that. I only know that because my Russian pastor friend told me like, actually our immigration all but stopped during the previous administration. I was like, oh, I didn't even hear about that. Um, so because of that, things change. And therefore the future of those ethnic heritage churches, it's really unclear because as people age, they're the tongue that they were bringing over, you know, German, Russian, whatever, will eventually fade and, you know, will not be needed. So if you have a continuous flow, a couple other things would be, um, I would say the socioeconomic placement or the immigrant narrative of that. If you come in as scholars and students, which is what a lot of Chinese do in the past, you know, my parents' generation and a lot of Chinese from, well, if you come from China now, you're doing something really well or you're connected, right? I mean, like, it doesn't matter what American university you go to. If you can come from a country like China, you had something, money, connections, or, you know, performance to be one of those few people that get to leave the country and study abroad. Of course, there are other nations that come and, you know, they literally swam to a place for their lives or walked over land or came by boat and all those different things. So therefore, the more socially, economically robust or higher an immigrant group is, couple of things, I think they're going to assimilate better because they probably have command of English. They're going to be more um, 
assimilated because they're going to have the money to do that. And they're going to basically have more, as opposed to if you can't speak the, the host country's language, right? The, the, you can't speak English, you're, you're going to probably very limited in your economic uh, prospects and things. So you got your immigration flow, you got their economics. I would say then you also have, um, well, there's many more things I could say, but another thing I would say is, I would say the relative vitality of the church in your area. So take the Chinese diaspora, uh, you know, the BBCs, the British born Chinese, um, their Chinese, the churches that are looking around are, you know, they've got leaders like John Stott, um, just, you know, some really significant churches and writers in the United Kingdom. Whereas churches in the Nordic lands, you know, Sweden, Norway, Finland, for example, you know, there's some good churches there, but it's just a lot less, I think. And so simple things like getting resources in their language for their next younger generation, uh, getting speakers for their retreats and youth conferences and events, having in the best sense of the term, a viable Christian subculture. I don't mean to become an enclave or a ghetto. I just mean that there's publishing, music, art, writing, um, things like that. Um, so I think you combine those things and that affects whether or not the future of the immigrant church. There's a new factor I have to throw onto the table that may upset or disturb people, uh, your listeners, it's not my intent. And that's to do, I think it ha might have to do with how visibly similar they may look. You know, so yeah, people call them mutts. You know, today they kind of joke. I was, I'll ask someone, oh, where's your background though? I'm kind of a mutt. That's their term, not my term. And, and I say, what do you mean? Because I didn't know what some, when, when my Caucasian friend said that to me, I didn't know exactly what they meant. They said, oh, you know, this person in my family's history is from, you know, United Kingdom. This person is German. This got a little Polish in us and all that kind of stuff. Um, but by and large, you know, they're of, they would, we would read, they would register as Caucasian or Anglo or white which may or may not be a helpful construct or term. So a lot of people say, you know, why don't we just do that? In fact, we don't say that's an Irish heritage church. A hundred years ago, Irish were seen as very different people in this culture. Um, they were probably, you know, a lot of, lot of prejudice against Irish. And it just, you know, there's, there's an interesting book. I don't necessarily endorse it, but a book I found interesting was called When the How something like how the Irish became white, or, you know, basically they, they ascended to whiteness. I'm, I'm going to get in so much trouble for that phrase, but basically um, that, yeah. So when you have that, and then you have groups that are brown or black or, you know, Latinx or Asian, it's unclear to me if really in about, you know, 50 years, we're all going to be the same. Um, so I do think that we're trying to, so even in the most progressive things, it's not just diversity or inclusion, it's inclusion. It's, it's not diversity, it's in equity and inclusion. Um, gone are the day. Well, we're, we're at the point where you could get a coffee commercial or a beer commercial or a car commercial. And basically, normally there'd be Caucasians there. And it feels like they just made someone Asian. Like uh, they just put an Asian in there. Okay. And, you know, I get why that they would have to do that. But to me, those are, that would never, the things that are coming out of their mouth or the things they're doing or saying, it just doesn't fit with my experience. Um, there's this TV show that my wife and I are watching now. It's about a really small, small town in Colorado. And it's amazing how much ethnic diversity and flawless natural English, all these different people. <laughs> I was like, what? That, okay. Anyway. So my point is, uh, I think it's really unclear um, if we're going to continue. The only experiment or project we have is the black church. And again, whole host of reasons why or why they don't, but they have not assimilated or integrated. And I think right now it's, you know, obviously there's great tensions in history, historical baggage and issues there. So I'm not criticizing anything. I'm just saying 
it's really not necessarily clear to me if that's going to be the case. I think if we enlarge our sense of diversity to being more than just ethnicity, I think it's a lot harder to have quote unquote diversity the way a lot of people think beyond tokenism or beyond code switching where they are truly different ethnicities and cultural backgrounds, but in the dominant culture, and the dominant culture does not necessarily have to be white in every case, but the dominant culture, they're code switching to kind of majority culture, and then they come home and take off their shoes or something like that. So, um, so I'm not sure, but I think we should be open to what that looks like. Um, and that's why the term might be useful. We are not trying to lock it in one. It's up to God. And I have a feeling it'll also be up to each context of each church. Um, but I think that's where the future likely could be uh, in terms of, you know, full assimilation, whatever that looks like, or to some degree, there'll be, um, there will probably still be uh, affinity and then thus churches will be designed to reach those particular uh, people who have that affinity linguistically, culturally, or ethnically. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.